Hello, welcome to Shore Stories. My name is George. This podcast covers nearshoring in Latin America. And today I have a very special guest, Stephen Spear, the Senior Director of Engineering at Salesloft. So Salesloft, just to give you an idea, is a 700 plus person company based in Atlanta, but opened an office, mostly tech office, in Guadalajara back in 2018. That was way before opening a tech office in Mexico was as cool as it is today. And Stephen was the main point person behind this. We're going to cover a lot of interesting stuff with him, but mostly how he got started, what he would do differently if he had to redo it now, and especially how do you keep a company culture intact even when you have people in different countries, in different offices, and with different cultures themselves around work. So without further ado, let's get into it. Stephen, thank you very much for, for joining me. I appreciate having you here. I think for the audience, the first thing that they'd love to know is, Grove, what is Sales Loft? What does it do? And, and also your role, like what are you doing in, in it and a general background like that? Sure. So uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's really nice to be here. My name is Stephen Spear. I'm a director of engineering at SalesLoft. And SalesLoft is a, a sales engagement platform uh, that helps sales teams be more efficient and effective in their sales process. Uh, we use AI to help prioritize uh, daily workflows for every seller on your team keeping them on track to, to book more meetings and close more deals faster. We do this by deeply integrating into your existing systems, your email, your calendar, your CRM, your phone system, so that your sellers and your teams can live inside sales law and use our product through every stage of the deal lifecycle. Got it. Cool. So basically, if you're an SDR you and like sales loft is your go-to platform for everything you're doing. Like all yeah, your we really started at top of the funnel with SDRs and, and BDRs and have grown into deeper in the funnel with account executives, also with account managers and mm. customer success teams and all of the ancillary groups that support yeah. those, those teams and work with them. And so you've been with SalesLoft for a while, right? How many years is it total? It's been about five and a half years now. Wow. Okay. Though in like startup years, that's enormous. So you've yeah. had this ability. How big is SalesLoft now compared to how was it when you uh, started? Yeah, I, I joined SalesLoft in August of 2018, and I was employee number 300. Okay. Uh, now we're about 750 people. We've got offices in, in Atlanta. That's our main office, Guadalajara, London. And we've, yeah, we, we've grown significantly over the last few years and definitely grown our presence in, in Mexico as well. I started in August of, of 2018. There were five people that were based in Mexico. And now I, th I think we're about 72, 73 people in Mexico. Wow. Okay. So a massive, a massive sort of scaling. And what we want to do, like what I specifically want to do is talk about Mexico, obviously. That's sure. what people are interested in. When I met you, you were in living in Guadalajara. Uh, and it sounds like SalesLoft has been very su successful in, in, in growing in Mexico. Before we get into the how and like the tactics and that kind of stuff, what was the, at what point in SalesLoft's 
history where they like, okay, you know what? Mexico, like, why not try Mexico? There's a lot of talented people in Atlanta and other parts of the U.S. What was the original impetus there? Yeah, it's a great question and a pretty good story as well. In May of 2018, Salesoft acquired a startup called Note Ninja. And Note Ninja was a small company, I think seven people total. And the, the CTO of the company was living in Guadalajara and, and based in Mexico. And so part of the deal was that he wanted to continue to live in Mexico and he wanted to build out his team and the people working on the product that, that Salesoft acquired. And so that, that happened in May. And for the next three months, the original Note Ninja team was deep in the weeds of integrating Note Ninja into Salesloft. And during that time, I was also, I, I was really visiting Guadalajara for about three or four months. And I met the CTO, Austin Brown, and he and I became very quick friends. We went to the same university in the middle of Indiana, a small private school. We both lived in Latin America and loved speaking Spanish and being there. And so he and I became fast friends. And when the acquisition went through, Austin encouraged me to start interviewing at Sales Loft because he, he needed a partner. He wanted to focus on the architecture and the technical side of things. And he needed a partner to help build out the team yeah. and office space and really do more of the soft side of things. So I went through a very vigorous interview process at Sales Loft and was what was selected as the site lead, the country lead for Mexico. And that was why Sales Loft decided to start in Mexico. And from there, we've had so much success that it's really a, well, we've built a center of excellence in, in Guadalajara and, and across Mexico. And now we're repeating that process this year in Poland as well, because we're looking to extend our- Oh, our no way. Okay. Doing the same thing there. Ah, oh, very cool. All right. So the, so, so you actually joined Salesloft through like as part, not part of the acquisition, but connected to this acquisition because you knew this. That's team. right. Oh, yeah, I was the first sales loft hire in Mexico. Got it. Got it. I see. Okay. Now that's really, and before that you were in Mexico as well. Like, you yeah, were... I'd been living in Guatemala for the eight years previous oh. and I would leave Guatemala every year during rainy season. Got and it. in 2018, I was like, Hey, I'm going to go up to Guadalajara. I really loved the city when I visited it before in, in 2010. Yeah. I knew there was a big thriving tech scene there and I was working uh, remotely for another tech company and wanted to go check it out and see how things had changed and shifted over the years. Got you. I see. So you were really like the first, I would say, I guess with the, with this small team from Note Ninja, you were the first sort of boots on the ground, so to speak, in That's Guadalajara right. for sales loft. Cool. All right. So that's that, that, super interesting. And it's also, it's also interesting to have I guess for you're, you're an American, but you're pretty integrated in, in, in Latin American culture. So you're unique in that sense. You weren't parachuted in from headquarters. That's right. Uh, oh yeah. Figure it out. And I think that was one of the reasons why we were able to be so successful very quickly in Mexico mm -hmm. was to have that understanding. And, and my role was really the cultural bridge between the U S and Mexico. And the mandate that the VP of engineering, my boss at the time gave me when I first started was make it in Mexico, just like it is here in Atlanta. And mm -hmm. so with that mandate, I went back to Guadalajara and was like, okay, how do we do a lot of the things that we're doing in Atlanta? How do we really focus on team health? How do we build an amazing place to work where it's not just, Hey, you're going to come in and get paid. And by the way, the company is going to be saving a bunch of money, but rather, yeah. Hey. 
how do we build an incredible place to work where we're going to be bringing on the great engineers and great people who want to stick around because they're learning, they're growing, and they enjoy their coworkers. They enjoy the company that they're working for. Um, so that was really our differentiator in the market within Guadalajara when we were looking at talent and, and starting to recruit people and build our pipeline. Got you. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, which is like a lot of times when companies in the U.S. open offices in Latin America, there's this idea or I guess stereotype of, oh, yeah, this is going to we're doing this because it's like cheaper and we're going to give them the work that our engineers don't want to do right. and that kind of stuff. And obviously, if you don't go down that road, you first of all, attract much, much better talent. What I'm curious with bridging over to the team structures that you would build there. So what was the original, I guess there was an original team from Node Ninja, but what was your, what was the team, like, what were the teams that you built out there? And also I'm curious, what, how did they work with, or how do they work with teams in the U.S.? Yeah, uh, originally our, my, the original pieces of work I was doing was, okay, how can I focus to make the Note Ninja team successful? Mm -hmm. and make sure that the integration is going well, make sure that we launch and get to market with what was called meeting intelligence. It's now conversation intelligence or conversations in sales law. Mm -hmm. How do we get that integrated into the product? So part of doing that was we need to hire a QA engineer. We need to hire additional software engineers to bolster the team and continue to work on this. And so our first few hires were hires focused exclusively on conversations and building that. But very quickly, my leadership team in the States was like, hey, these are really good engineers. Like we have some headcount open. We're growing really rapidly. Can we hire in more additional people in Mexico? And I was like, yeah, of course. Why not? And, and our original structure was we had a, a couple of teams in sales off that had remote folks on those teams, right? Someone yeah. lives in Indiana, someone lives in California, Colorado. So we had, I think, two other teams that were remote friendly. Majority of people were in Atlanta, but they had a few remote folks. So we took, we, we hired some people with the, the right tech background and, and the experience, and we plugged them into the remote teams. So we had Mexico-based staff working on remote first teams in the U.S. And that, that we had a lot of success with that. After COVID started in 2020 and everyone went remote, we, it, it didn't matter at that point. So at this point, I think we have Mexico-based staff on all of our teams and we don't have any exclusively Mexico-based teams at Salesloft. They're all intermixed with folks in the U.S. and folks in Mexico. And we find that helps with some of the cultural sharing. It helps with some of the engagement across the teams. And it's also really fun to be able to bring folks from the U.S. down to Mexico for a retreat or people in Mexico up to the U.S. to meet the rest of their team. Yeah, I mean, that certainly like the seamlessness of it makes the, makes the Mexican team, I assume, feel like completely connected in the sense that there's no difference at all, right? Between them and the teams in the U.S. I see. So it's not like, it's not like oh, the Mexican team's working on this product. The U.S. teams are working on this product. It's more like completely flowing in between each country. Like it doesn't matter at all at that level. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter at that point. And I've seen some advantages in that. I, at least for me as a, a manager of teams and a manager of managers of teams. Yeah. Um, I find a lot of value in having diversity of thought and diversity and experience. And so having people that are coming from the, the traditional background in Mexico, which in general is going to be, they, they study computer science or computer engineering in college. They got a job at a large consulting company after yeah. school, 
And, and they worked on that for a few years. Maybe they went to a, a couple of different companies that were consulting gigs. So coming to a product company is a significant shift. And I think that takes, it, it takes some focus from, for onboarding with the manager of changing that mindset of ownership and long-term ownership. But it also, it, you're able to build teams that, that own their surface area, own the part of the product that they're working on. And regardless of where they're based, like if they're in Mexico, if they're in the U.S., if they're in Poland, like we're able to do all of our work over Slack, over Jira and with Zoom. So the location of where we're doing it doesn't really matter, but the diversity of experience and the ability to bring in teams that have differing backgrounds, I find a lot of value in that at SalesLoft. Yeah, I, I, the, the thing about the consulting firm background is, is interesting because I obviously talked with many Mexican software engineers and I think Latin American software engineers in general have that. It's a very classic, a classic uh, series of, of steps uh, in their careers. Was that difficult at first? Like, how do you uh, giving them that I that sense of ownership and responsibility? What was that? Was that harder than expected, or did it, or did you figure out very quickly a game plan there? Yeah, I think for the first couple of hires that came from a consulting background. I had the realization during their onboarding, right? We have the first week of onboarding is like company onboarding, plus they're just like figuring out their laptops and maybe getting yeah. a development environment set up. And I would have folks come in and at, after three days, they would say, hey, I feel like I'm behind. I haven't committed code yet. Like I really need to get into the code. And I would sit there and say, hey, slow down. Mm -hmm. I don't have an expectation for you to commit code until the end of the first month, right? There's a lot of learnings that you have to do first. And let's focus on the company. Let's focus on the product. Let's focus on the team. Do one-on-ones with everyone on your team, with the product manager, the product director. Slow down a bit because, and, and the metaphor that I would always use with folks is this is a marathon. This is not a sprint because in consulting, it's get in. You don't want to be on the bench. You want to start yeah. billing right away. Yeah. And in, in a product company, it, it's not that way. It's very much more focused on, okay. How is this working? How, we, how can we continue to sustain this pace and build this product into something that we're going to be working on 10 years from now versus, hey, in consulting, you're, you're working until the next contract signed, right? And you're focused on delivering results so that you can get the contract signed and you can stay off the bench. And I, I started consulting after university as well. So I had that same mentality mm -hmm. for a while until I switched to working to product companies, which for me was much more enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. There is that sort of, at least from the engineers I've talked to who have more of that, who only have that background, there is a little bit of that pressure to, yeah, get not be on bench and push out the product and move on to the next, move on to the next, next thing. No, that's super interesting. You were telling me before uh, I hit record about how successful it's been in Guadalajara and some of the other stuff you guys have been putting together to draw talent in. I'd love it if you could tell a little bit, talk a little bit about that, like what you're doing in Kalima and all that and, and whatnot. Sure. So as we're hiring, as we're growing out our office in Mexico, I, I kept hearing about, hey, there's really talented folks in Colima for Ruby on Rails. And a, a big part of our tech stack is Ruby on Rails. And so we would find folks on LinkedIn. They're based in Colima. We would interview them and I would say, we should really hire them. They're excellent. We can inject them into one of the remote teams. And then once, once COVID hit, it was like, hire as many Ruby engineers as we can. I don't, we don't care where they're located, but 
we, we were able to find a couple of key people in Colima, as well as in Aguascalientes and Ciudad de Mexico that were plugged into the community. They were really involved in meetups and, and gatherings and events. And we got them on board. And then we said, hey, we have a great referral bonus. Who are the best engineers you've ever worked with? Let's go talk to them. And so we, we started to build this pipeline of engineers who are referrals and, and who are co-located in a different geographic area in Mexico. Mm -hmm. But at this point, we've got our main office in Guadalajara. And then we've got, we don't have actual physical offices in Aguascalientes and Colima and Ciudad de Mexico, but we have groups of people, right? It's going to be eight people, a dozen people, 15 people in each of yeah. these places. And we have them get together every month and do like a, an offsite and go do something fun, get dinner together and build that, that local team, even though they're not on the same work teams on this, working on the same parts of the product. And uh, I, I think that was a really good strategy that worked out for us just because we weren't tightly coupled to the geography of Guadalajara and only going yeah. for people who physically live there. We also have other people that are remote all throughout Mexico, but those are our main areas that we have. It's Colima. Calientes and in Ciudad de Mexico. Gotcha. The referral thing is interesting because I always find that like referral, like referrals, referral programs can be really hit or miss as far as how successful and how dot and like how adoption rate, et, et cetera. It sounds like it worked quite well for you guys. Did you guys have any specific strategy around it outside of giving a nice juicy bonus? Yeah, g give a nice juicy bonus, and and also we have a. The, the hiring process at, at Sales Loft is, is pretty involved. It's, I think it's, it ends up being about six rounds of interviews. Yeah. And so you're going to have a, a recruiter screen, a hiring manager screen. And then immediately after that is going to be a culture interview, a, a, a core values interview. Yeah. And that one's done by people in different departments at Sales Loft. They're the, the leaders of core values. And they're really directly focused on the core values that Sales Loft has, and does this person fit into those core values in their professional life and their personal life? Are they going to be a culture fit at the company? And if they are, then they go on to the they'll go on to a technical interview. We do a top grade interview, and then we do a final. It's in engineering. They're going to meet with the senior VP of engineering, and he's going to have yeah. a thirty minute chat with them, make sure that there's no red flags. We based our hiring process of a book called Who, which is an, a, yeah. an excellent book. I know the and book. So. And so when people go through that hiring process themselves, and then they come in, they're working, they're, they're, they've had some success in their team, they're able to deliver. And we tell them, hey, do you have some friends or old colleagues? Who's the best person that you think would fit here or we're looking for at Sales Loft? You've been through the interview process. You see what the teams are like. Who do you want to work with again? And we'll give you some cash to, to go talk to them and, and put them in the pipeline for our recruiter to reach out to. And we had a lot of success with that model. Gotcha. And I assume that model, was it more successful in Mexico than in the U.S., for instance, where I assume you have this same model or is it just generally? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, it's been working. It's been working well. Recently, we've been doing, we're going to be doing the same thing in Poland. We have our first 10 people that started in Poland in December, and we're going to be growing that out to 30 or 40 folks over the next 12 to 18 months. And that's our same plan, right? Yeah. Uh, the folks who are there, who are doing well. Tell them the same thing. Hey, who's the best engineer you've ever worked with who would fit in here culturally and you want to work with again? Go in, recruit them, get, put a bug in the air, tell them what you're working on. What do you think about sales law? 
give them like that really hot intro, that hot lead for a recruiter to reach out. And yeah. at that point, it's not a, a cold intro where recruiters reaching out and they're like, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, of course. It's hard to get past that first initial getting the hook in the fish and, and bringing them in as a recruiter. Yeah. Yeah. No, of, of, of course. I, I know the difficulty of cold outreach to engineers. It's always better to have some kind of a warm connection first. I want to get to the Poland thing soon because it's really interesting that you guys are basically going to, you're doing it again in a different geographic location. I wanted to just touch on roles in, in Mexico that you have that are not engineering roles. Just thinking about like the structure of the team and the office outside of your engineers. So you have like a recruiting team. How much of like, how connected were they to Mexico? Were they, were any of them on site? Like how did that work? Yeah, we've had a couple of Mexico-based recruiters, yeah. uh, which was helpful. Right now we're using our U.S.-based recruiters to, to hire in Mexico. One of them Spanish speaking, so that makes it really easy to have that initial connection. Sure. So we had some Mexico-based recruiters. For the first two years, we were really exclusively software engineers and QA engineers in, okay. in Mexico. But over the last three years, we've been able to expand who we're hiring. So we've got a, a good group of uh, customer support agents in Mexico that are doing a, a really excellent job on our team. And also with the time zone chain, the time zone differences, able to yeah. provide a bit more support for our West Coast customers, mm. uh, which, which has been helpful. We also, I think when we hit 50 employees in Mexico, we hired an IT person who's working on the laptops and yeah. making sure that they're ordering things ahead of time and getting them set up with, with our software that we need. We also hired a people ops person, someone from HR, to, to really streamline things in Mexico because a, a lot of that work on the HR side was me. It was one of the hardest things that I did. Me learning and understanding Mexican uh, labor laws oh, and goodness. not just the Mexican labor laws, but also like the unspoken rules for working with experienced knowledge workers, right? There's differences between what the law says you have to do Yes. And the expectation that a knowledge worker has at a higher salary than what the laws are written for. So a lot of some lessons learned there, some experience where we said, ah, okay, we made a mistake here. Let's go and fix it. And at this point with, with our people ops partner in Mexico, we don't have to worry about that anymore because she is an expert at all yeah. of the things related to HR in Mexico. So that's been a, a, a huge important hire as well. Yeah, no, I can imagine I've touched a little bit on Mexican labor bureaucracy, and it's not, not a walk in the park by any means. Actually, it's a good segue to another question I had around anything that you would do differently in hindsight. Sounds like overall it's been very successful, but is there anything looking back on past uh, five, four, four and a half years, any way, any kind of setup that you would have done differently? Any kind of sequence of laying of, of, of setting things up that, that you would have, have done in a different way? Yeah, I, I, I would have hired a, a, a people ops person earlier. I think that would have been good just for supporting and having that understanding for all of the workers based in Mexico, because they would come to me and I would say, hey, explain the aguinaldo, explain the afore, right? Like, I don't understand these things. Let me understand what that is. Let me go research it. And then let me figure out what the comparison is to something similar in the U.S. So then I can go to my U.S. leadership and say, hey, here's what we need to do. 
this is going to be similar to the 401k match, okay? And be able to put it in those terms. So having someone who already understands those differences would have been super helpful to, to avoid some of the just misunderstandings on my part for not living and, and being a labor lawyer in Mexico. Yeah. Um, then, oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I, I was just going to say, uh, I think another thing I would have done differently is I would have brought more of the U.S.-based leadership and colleagues down earlier and more often. Uh, our CTO, Scott Mitchell, came down to visit probably about a, a year after we started things in Mexico. And that was an incredible visit. It was really nice to have him come down, show his support for the staff that was down there. I think the staff really appreciated having a, an executive leadership team member come down. And we, we put an event on at our office and we had folks come in and we talked about sales loft and it was, it was a cool event and a cool time to do. And I wish we would have done that more. I mm -hmm. wish we would have, because now over the last couple of years, even just for, a, we had a, a Christmas posada last week or the week before, uh -huh. and the, the CEO came down, the chief people officer came down, VP of people came down. And so they really showed support in, in Mexico. And we brought all of our Mexican-based staff into Guadalajara for a sync week together. And at the end of it, we did the posada and had a nice dinner and a party uh, yeah. before everyone went back home. But I would have done that more often and earlier because it really helps build that connection between Mexico-based staff and our U.S.-based staff. And, and we were talking earlier about how do you get rid of that? Okay, we're Mexico and this is the U.S. How do you deeply integrate the teams where there isn't a feeling of difference between them. And I think this is one way to really accelerate that. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine for the staff in Mexico to have the highest echelons of the company come down and hang out with them must be super, super motivating. Was it also helpful on the other side, like showing the leadership team, here's what we're doing in Mexico. It's successful. We got to keep on doing it. Or were they already bought in by far by then? I think uh, the CTO, for example, he was bought into, hey, we're hiring great people who are building great software and yeah. shipping things to our customers and it's valuable. And I think when he came down, he was like, oh, this is different, but it's also really similar. And what we've done down here is special and this is important and we need to keep investing into Mexico. We need to invest in hiring the right people. We need to invest in making sure we have the support structures there. And also, I think there's a, a perspective like... Being in Guadalajara, especially being in a WeWork office, like it's really modern. It's really nice. Like it's not a whole lot different than being in an office oh. building in, in Atlanta, for example. You have that and then you're able to say, hey, let's go get some tacos or tamales on the street or let's go for a little trip to tequila and do a yeah, tour. Yeah. And you're able to intersperse these cultural understandings, these cultural trips to start to build a, a deeper understanding between the, the two offices. Yeah, no, it's true. You guys are still in that same... Uh... Same office in the, was it like the mall, that, that like shopping center with the WeWork in it? We were. We recently moved to the the newer WeWork that's on the uh, southwest side of Guadalajara. Uh, I'm blanking on the, I'm blanking on the name of the, it, it's also yeah, a, a mall. Yeah. Okay. It's also in a mall. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, we I'm down there just for, okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. not in Guadalajara anymore either. <laughs> we have, yeah, a, no, we have no, a new, no. a new site lead down there. Got it. Got it. But that was a super nice office when I came to, when I came and visited. Did you guys ever, actually, as far as like legal structures are concerned, because you were telling about the, like having the people ops person, you, did you guys ever incorporate an actual Mexican legal entity or did you always work with an employer of record or that kind of service? Uh, originally, we worked with a PEO. 
Um, yeah. Just, we really want it because everyone that came from Note Ninja were, were contractors. And first order of business was get things legal and do things right. Yeah. And so the fastest way for us to do that was to find a, an employer of record and a, a partner to work with us so that we could get the, all of the benefits to the staff so that we can yeah. make sure that we're doing everything legal so that we have contracts in place. And so that we're seen also, so that we're seen as being legitimate in Guadalajara. Because one of the things I, I noticed right away when I was, when I started that sales off and was going to events and meetups and recruiting people, trying to build that initial pipeline. One of the initial questions they would ask is, hey, do you guys have an entity? What's your legal structure here? How would yeah. you hire me? And I, I think a lot of people had been burned before with US companies coming down, contracting them as workers, and then booting them out when they didn't need them anymore. Yeah. And so getting that employer of record in place was really important. It was expensive, but it also, it was a good stopgap measure so that we were like, okay, let's do this until it makes financial sense for us to incorporate and create sales lofts entity in Mexico. And then we are the owners of our own destiny at that point. We can provide whatever benefits that yeah. we want to. And so I think we did that in 2020. So it took us a, a couple of years of using the PEO before we switched over to our own entity. Gotcha. And now since, and then it's just been, yeah, this, I guess yeah. you guys are set up for the foreseeable future like this. You guys, you, you said you have, now you have CS agents as well. Is the plan to like, because now you have the whole structure set up. Is there nothing stopping you from just hiring any kind of role in Mexico? Yeah, I think it, I, I'm, I'm really excited. We, we internationalized our application uh, earlier this year. So now we work in a bunch of different languages because that was one of the, the things that was stopping us from like building out a sales team in Mexico, for example, uh, is that the app wasn't localized. We, it was all in English. Yeah. So now that we have the app localized, I'm, I'm really looking forward to I'm waiting for our leadership team to say, Hey, when are we going to start selling into Latin America? Cause right now we've been really focused on EMEA. So Europe and the Middle East, we did some growth into APAC and pulled that back. So I think we're, I think that the, our senior leadership team is waiting to see when we're going to move into selling in Latin America. And then I think we would start adding BDRs, AEs, oh, okay, yeah. customer success teams, things like that. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the Latin American market has to be fairly significant. And if you already have, yeah, you already have the setup and pretty easy to just hire a couple, like hire a, a sales team to start, start approaching them. Cool. Let's talk. I'd love to talk a little bit about the office in Poland, because it sounds like you guys are basically going, you've already started it, but yeah. Like what are, what's the plan? What's the plan there? Yeah. One of the, the main driving factors between us opening another center of excellence in Poland was that we, we wanted to have a bit more coverage uh -huh. during the day because we're very much between the U.S. And, and Mexico. We're very much in the Eastern Standard Time Zone, maybe to the Pacific Time Zone. We've had a, a contracting company we've worked with for a long time based in Ukraine and had a lot of success with them. Really talented engineers, really good partners for us. But over the last year, year and a half after the, the war started there, it introduced some complexities around data security, not being able to merge to master. And we just had to put some safeguards in place. Yeah. And so with those things happening, we still wanted to have a presence in Europe and Eastern Europe on the development side. And so we started investigating what countries we wanted. We could potentially do that. And we were looking at Spain and Portugal and Poland's the one we decided to go with because of the time zone they're in. 
the talent that they have, mm-hmm. and also just, I think, the, the ease of doing business there. So we've really been replicating the same strategy that we used in Mexico. We hired a, a, a site lead, Daniel Kopka, who's a, a really talented engineer and director of engineering. And he's been working with our recruiting team to bring in, I think we brought in the initial seven people this month. We have another seven starting next month. And then I think we're going to have another 10 starting after that in, in March timeframe. Oh, so you have a very healthy pipeline. We're going faster there because I think we, we've had the success of Mexico and we know what we need to build and the teams we need to build it. So we're like, all right, let's do it in Poland. Let's build a center of excellence and let's go. And is this director of engineering a Polish person? He is. Yes. Ah, got it. Okay. And so you're using, I suppose you'll hire a people ops person a bit sooner, or maybe you already have. Yeah, uh-huh. we don't have one yet in Poland. Okay. And it's also, there's significant differences working in Poland as well. I know they have a different structure of contractors versus full-time employees. And most of the staff are, they have their own business entity and they have a uh-huh. business to business contract between sales loft entity and their own personal business entity. Oh, so it, okay. I don't know the details around that one. I just yeah, know yeah. it's a little bit different, but my assumption is once we hit a certain number of people in Poland, we'll probably bring on other people ops person there to help support. Got you. And I guess this will also be a challenge, but potentially opportunity as well, as opposed to Mexico because of the lack. There's some overlap in terms of time zone, but certainly less planning on changing like the workflow and the like, how are you planning on adapting to that? One of the big changes we're going to make it with our Polish colleagues is they're going to be independent teams themselves, Mm -hmm. right? So they're going to be part of a a pod. So working on a similar surface area, but the teams are going to be fully in, in Poland. So they'll have an engineering manager that's there. They'll have the software engineers, QA design. They're there and they can work independently. And then we have those crossover hours in from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern where we're able to do the sync between, okay, here's what we got done. Here's what you guys need to take on for us. Or here's what's been going on over the last six hours. So we're going to have that sync time. And the, yeah, the big difference is we're not going to have those fully integrated teams with Polish team members yeah, yeah, at the same time. And that's because of the time zone differences. Got you. So they're going to have to be a little bit more separate into their own pods, but that makes sense. Otherwise it would be really difficult to be integrated if the yeah. overlap is only two hours. Cool. No, that sound, that's really good. I actually don't have too many more questions. If you have anything else you'd like to add, I'd be happy to include it, but this was super useful. I'm trying to think. I, one of the, maybe this was very much it came from COVID and I think things are a little bit easier now, but it was difficult to source laptops for a while. For our engineers, we, for our tech stack and, and running things locally, we wanted to make sure that the team had 32 gigs of RAM on their laptops. Yeah. So we had to custom order these. Um, so the, the lead time in 2020 was months. And so for a while I was having to go to the local Apple store and just buy the best laptop they had in stock. (laughs) Oh, wow. And then bring it to the new staff who was starting. So I think it's good to have that infrastructure in place and make sure that you're planning ahead for your hiring plan over the next six months to a year and have enough hardware on hands. Cause that was definitely like a, a bump in the road that we were able to solve, but it wasn't the best experience when the team was going through it. Got you. Got you. What, so what did you end up doing to solve that problem? Did it solve itself when supply chains uh, calmed down or? Uh... Yeah. When the supply chain got better and we were also ordering, we've, instead of ordering two months out, we were ordering six months out. We were just saying, Hey, 
oh, plan okay. on having an additional 10 hires in six months. So order 10 laptops now for what we're going to be in six months. Got you. Got you. I see. So you just assumed that there would be people. So get the laptops at least secured now. That's right. Yeah. Was yeah. there anything else that was super difficult or challenging at first that you would want somebody who's just trying to do this to have in mind? Yeah. I th I, the other struggle we had at first was around office space. Yeah. The office space we were in at first was just not to the level that we needed it to be. It wasn't open long enough. They closed at 6 p.m., maybe 8 p.m. And there were times where we needed to work later yeah. or we wanted to like pop in early in the morning to, to get to meetings and they just weren't open. Once WeWork started to come uh, around in Guadalajara, that really helped just remove those barriers for entry and, and have a spot that's known, it's nice. And people who come down from the States know, oh, where do we work? Okay, I know how things are going to work here. Yeah, that's... So that was a, a challenge we had, but also a solved challenge that at this point <laughs> it's solved. We'll see how long we work is going to be able to stick around with their model and going through bankruptcy and everything. I don't know how that's going to work out, but at this point, we're also, we can operate fully remote in Mexico. Um, mm. We have an office because it's convenient. There's some folks who'd like to go into the office locally. So we want to enable them and encourage them to do that. But it's not a necessity at this point for us just because of the way that we've operated for the last few years. Got it. So it's not an office requirement. For the no. The only time we ask people to be in the office is if we have staff coming down from the U.S. and, yeah. and senior leadership come down. Then we're going to do a sync week. We're going to take people to lunch and dinner and do events. Like it's fun. And so that's when we really encourage people to come into the office. And obviously we pay for transportation and a nice hotel. And for the posada, we were had everyone bring their plus ones. So we try to make it a really nice event and nice time together. Got you. No, that makes sense. And do you get to go down to Guadalajara a lot, even now that you're back in the States? I, I do. I, I go down a couple times a year at this point. I've got a, I've got a, a baby and a wife and a stepson. So we're busy. I would like to be able to go down as much. I would like to be able to go down a, a bit more, but a couple times a year, I try to get down there and see everyone. Gotcha. Yeah. I was in, I actually live in Spain now. I don't know if you know this, oh, but cool. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get to go to Mexico maybe like once a year. I'll do it like with the, I'll do like a U.S. slash Mexico trip. But I miss it a whole bunch. It's it's really, I was in Mexico yeah. City, which, and, but I will say Guadalajara is probably, if, if it wasn't for Mexico City, Guadalajara, I think Guadalajara is a great place. Like I would definitely be able to live there. No problem. And it's a lot calmer and less polluted. Yeah. I, I thought it was easier to operate in Guadalajara than in Mexico City. Mexico City is overwhelmingly big and busy. Yeah. And there's advantages to that, right? You have, you have more talent, you have more people, you have more infrastructure better restaurants, like all of the things that come with a, a major metropolis. But Guadalajara is a big city as well. And there's yeah. more than enough for what we needed and for what sales off needed. And me personally, I much preferred living in Guadalajara than I did in, in Mexico City. Yeah. If you want to get out into nature at all, it is just, you can might have to do like a three hour traffic jam commute back. But no, I think, I think it is actually useful. You guys are not have no off in office requirement, but if there is an office requirement, Mexico city can be really challenging because commuting is, is probably up there. One of the worst commuting cities in the world. If you don't live close to the office, it's, you're talking like, it's like Los Angeles, but worse because the infrastructure is not necessarily as good. And over, uh, over the last three years. Employees have become accustomed to not having a commute. So asking them to commute daily or three days a week is not, you're, you're going to lose out on a lot of really talented engineers and, and, and talent. 
uh, because they're not willing to do that. They're willing to do it a couple of times a quarter, right? Yeah. Just like I'm willing to go to Atlanta once a quarter. I'm willing to go to sure, Atlanta yeah, 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 yeah. once a quarter. But to do that daily, I wouldn't be able to do that no, no, at no. this point after working remotely so long. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, once a quarter, I can go basically anywhere once a quarter. Cool. I just had another quick question. doesn't have to exactly with sales loft. But so I, I interviewed another company that called Better Cloud, and they're the only thing they shared a an investor with Sales Loft, a private equity firm called Vista Equity. Oh yeah. And when I was speaking with him, he was told me basically like Vista Equity has this like game, like basically a like game plan to how to open an office in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like Sales Loft did this way like before you. Vista Equity even invested in. That's right. And I was just curious, was Sales Loft the original inspiration or was it just like completely separate? Yeah, I think it was very separate, right? Vista Equity got involved with Sales Loft and invested in Sales Loft almost two years ago. So, and and I remember I've gone through some trainings with Vista Equity and their consulting arm. And I remember being in those trainings, they were talking about the process of opening centers of excellence. And it was like, Wow, what an incredible resource that I wish I would have had five yeah. years ago when I started doing this, because these were just things I learned as I went, right? Yeah. Try something, it fails. Try the next thing. Okay, this one works. All right, let's move forward to the next problem. And Vista, they, they've done this many times before. So they have that expertise. They have that experience to help guide you to what you need to do. That's why it's been, I, I think it's been much smoother and much better experience so far at opening our center of excellence in Poland because we have the support and the resources that, that Vista has been providing us in addition to the experience that we've had in Mexico doing it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Cool. Yeah. It was just a sort of a side question. Great. I'm, this was really good. This was a really good interview. I don't know if you have anything else, but I'm pretty good. Yeah, I don't think so. Pleasure speaking with you and, and thanks for, for asking me to do this with you. I enjoyed it. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed it, It would mean a lot to me if you could give me a recommendation, like on whatever podcast platform you are using at the moment. And stay tuned until next week for another fun episode of Shore Stories.